Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Provoki, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I sit down with my guests to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Dan Brewster Levins is unforgettable. Today, he's the head guide and owner of Stonefly Outfitters, but there's a whole lot more to the Montana local. Rooster's early career in the Coast Guard took him away from New England and put him on the Pacific Coast, where he developed an addiction to steelhead. After years of guiding in Washington and Alaska, he fell in love with a little fly shop in Montana, where he settled down and stayed. In this episode of Anchored, Rooster reflects on his colorful past, sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly. Did you know that you can now try out Anchored Outdoors monthly? If you've been curious about what we've been up to or have been eyeing up one or more of our classes, why not give us a try this month? Get started for only $17.99 and find out more at www.anchoredoutdoors.com. Where where'd you just get in from? Um, I just guided a carp trip today. But weren't you weren't you overseas somewhere, or weren't weren't you on a trip? Somewhere? Yeah, uh, I was in Puerto Rico ten days ago. Okay, perfect. Got it. So you're still on the tequila train, or are you just always on the tequila train at five at six o'clock your time? Oh, it just kind of varies. It depends. <laughs> Tonight's tequila night. Gotcha. Well, I'm I'm on a coffee morning. I uh, actually haven't looked in the mirror yet today, so this is the first I've seen myself. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Um, I just finished a podcast with Jeff Mishler, who says hello. Jeff Mishler. How do I know him? So he's a Skagit Master guy. Okay. He's the guy who makes Skagit Master. And he was saying that he ran into you, because he's got a podcast too, so I was just on his show. But he um, said he ran into you at in Forks, Washington or something on a steelhead trip. That's that's where I know him from. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. hilarious. I had no idea. I didn't even know you were a steelheader. So let's I'll tell you what we'll do. Let's just dive right in. Do you have any questions before we get started? No. You've been on pod <laughs> you've been on podcasts before, obviously. I'll try and keep <laughs> the F bombs to a minimum, but no guarantees. All right. Well you're in you're in you're in good company. Let me good. make sure, blah, blah, blah. Rock and roll. Okay. Um let's start where we start everybody. 
So that's very simple. Where's that? (laughs) (laughs) Where were you born and raised? Um, Me, I was born in Massachusetts on a dairy farm, but primarily raised in Alaska. How does that work? How long does this podcast go? (laughs) As long as you got. (laughs) No, I moved to Alaska when I was a kid and uh, it didn't take long to figure out that I didn't want to live on a dairy farm the rest of my life. So I had some cousins living up in Anchorage and I think in eighth grade, I went up there and uh, worked as a kid that hauled luggage up and down the dock at uh, Super Eagle Airlines on Lake Hood. And I got to fly all over the interior of Alaska and, well, this is where I'm staying. So I did. Wait, so did your parents go with you or you were just there with uncles and aunts? Uncles and aunts. Mm-hmm. Really? Um, yeah. This is totally off topic, but I'm just curious because I actually don't Perfect. know anything about, about you other than your name and that you look hilarious. Um, were your parents... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, April. <laughs> you just spat all over your screen. <laughs> I, look, I look hilarious. Not now. <laughs> So your parents, they didn't go up with you. Were your parents together? Yeah. Yeah. My and dad just... was a cop. Oh, okay. Okay. My... Okay. Yeah. And I didn't like him. And my mom ran hospitals and I loved her. She just left Montana uh, two or three days ago, actually. Gotcha. So was it a summer thing up in Alaska or did you actually permanently lo- you know, relocate there? Primarily it was summers. Um, and then I relocated there full time in eighty. Eight. So then when I quit doing that, graduated high school, um, I joined the Coast Guard and got stationed in Sitka, Alaska. I was a rescue swimmer in the Coast Guard. Did you know what you wanted to do? Did you want to work in fishing? I had a pretty good idea that I wanted to work in fishing. I, um, I didn't really know the path to it. And the way that it started was uh, in Sitka, Alaska in 1991 or so. Um, I bought a boat so I could go troll for king salmon and stuff. And at the time, there were two charter boats in the harbor. And now there's like 400. Well, all the guys that served with me in the Coast Guard would bring their friends and family up to fish. And, of course, they didn't have fish. They were from Missouri or wherever in the hell they were all from, Texas, a lot of them. They don't know how to and, fish uh, in Texas. Good Lord. <laughs> they do for bass, but that's okay. about it. <laughs> And some other stuff, but not in Alaska. They didn't know how to fish. Right. Well, at any rate, they would, uh, they'd say, Hey, uh, my nickname was little Dan back then. And they'd say, Hey, could you, uh, could you take my girl, you know, Betty Lou's coming up to visit. Can you take us fishing? Well, shit, I had to, because I wasn't making enough money in the coast Guard to pay for the boat I bought. I think the terminology for it is living well beyond my means. Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still doing that. But that led me to uh, be a charter boat captain in Sitka. And I ran that, well, I sold that little boat and went to work for a fellow named Jay Gustin running a 56-foot Delta long-range charter boat all over southeast Alaska from Yakutat down to Ketchikan. And he still had fished every river from Yakutat to Ketchikan and a lot of the stuff down there below below where your fish were coming from. I'd be down there on the tidewater when they were coming in. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's why they all had little they all had little holes <laughs> in them right there. Um so I did that for 10 years. Ran the boat all the way from um uh let's see four or five different winters we ran from Sitka 
clear down to Z Watanao and charter fished out of Z Watanao for marlin and tuna and rooster fish and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Now it's making sense because I've always just known you as the Montana guy. I thought you were just trout. I totally put you in a corner there, but um, I was thrown off That's to find okay. out steelhead. Sometimes I belong in a corner. Right. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> well, that's super interesting. That's I'll just put so- myself back in there if you want me. <laughs> <laughs> Take your tequila and go. No, no, no. You're good. Stay here. Stay here. So, all right. So then, what happens in your in your life at this point? And obviously, we'll uh, get caught. We'll get caught up to now. But I'm 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 curious about how you've made it to where you're at today. Alive. I got tired of tired of. Yeah, well, there's. We can get into that too. I think I'm at 21 lives. At any rate. Um, I got tired of charter fishing. We killed everything we caught. Uh, not so much the steelhead back in those days, but all the salmon and halibut and marlin and tuna, everything got killed. And I left Alaska in like 98 or nine or something like that and moved to Panama and lived in uh, Cologne, Panama on the east, on the Atlantic side of the canal. And worked as a diesel mechanic putting together container cranes, you know, the big cranes that pick the containers up off the ships. I built eight of those things that came in on a barge from Korea. Oh. So at any any given time, I had uh, seven different languages being spoken and putting those cranes together. Germans, they did all the electronics. Um, French did the drives, the computerized parts. Uh, Caterpillar engines, we had a couple of Americans, but not very many. And... Uh, let's see, Argentine, Spanish, Panamanian, Spanish. I don't know. It was crazy. It's absolutely crazy time in my life, but I loved it. I loved every second of it. I had 60 Panamanians that worked for me and one spoke English. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was fun. I bought them all. I, I bought them all pants and shirts, tried to make <laughs> them like a team, right? Team. We're going to build a team. And, uh, I bought them Levi's and like a, a Dickies shirt, so they look good, and little toolboxes. And I'll never forget, I gave them all to them. They're all super happy. And that night I went to the bar, which ended up being, you know, one of those places that's not really a bar, but it's kind of a bar. And the, and the, um, the doorman is wearing my pants, and he's got a crease pressed in right in the front of them. And I looked at him, I said, man, those are nice pants in Spanish. <laughs> He says, he says, yeah, this stupid fucking gringo that works out at the port bought them for everybody and they gave them to me. <laughs> I just smiled. I said, yeah, that guy's dumb, isn't he? Stupid <laughs> bastard. <laughs> and you, so never, bought the, you never bought the pants again. <laughs> no. 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 no I, I didn't buy any more pants. So I got to, I got to learn how to fish uh Central America and Latin America then and helped start a charter operation up on Hannibal Bank in my time off from building the cranes. Uh, Pesca, Panama, we had a 80-foot mothership barge and ran four 31-foot contenders um, on marlin trips and inshore fishing for Kubera snapper and rooster fish, and whatever the hell else would bite. And there was a lot of biting fish back then. It was really good. What about the so new that was route? Fun. What about rooster? Now that didn't come from the fish, right? I, I'm, I'm terrified to ask this because I don't even know what you're going to say, but where Everybody did the name is. rooster come from? Um, well, it's kind of out there now. I, at least the guy that gave me the name is, is Jay Gustin. He's more like my dad. It, uh, 
He's still alive today. More like my, my father than my father ever was. Well, Jay owned the charter boat Adventurous, and he was from Arkansas. He made a bit of money uh, in the real estate market and bought a boat, and it was home ported in Wrangell, Alaska. And I met him while I was still in the Coast Guard, and when I got out, he hired me as a skipper. On like the third week of charters, we we're standing on the back deck of the boat, and Jay and I had gotten a little bit of a fight. And he was a cr- pretty big dude, and I, I'm of course not that big a dude. I nobody maybe people don't know that, but I'm kind of how, short. How tall are you? I don't actually know how how tall you are. How tall are you? Um, <laughs> I'm six five. Oh, okay, you know, good, good, good to know. Yeah, <laughs> just just re- reverse the numbers. Okay, gotcha. Um, gotcha. <laughs> well, uh, these customers that were fishing with us, they, uh, they said they knew Jay and, and they said, well, how's Danny working out? And, um, he said, well, that little fucker's pretty fishy and, and he's really good with people. He said, but it's a little bit like having a barnyard rooster working for me. <laughs> <laughs> and it stuck. It just, it stuck on that week and it stuck the rest of that summer. And then we did our, like the first fly fishing show I ever did was in 92. And uh, my booth was right next to Steve Abel's booth when he's still, alive. of course, he, he was alive back then. And uh, in fact, today, let the ADD run wild. And today we caught a bunch of carp on the very first gold Abel reel ever made. He gave to me at that fly fishing show. Oh, cool. So that was pretty cool. I was actually telling the guy about it. Well, Steve Abel got in on it and, and, I took the gal out from, you probably know her. She's Canadian from Big Bay Lodge. She, they were in the, they were in the booth across from me. At any rate, Steve, Steve Abel was sitting in the booth next to us. And I just walked over. It was Valentine's Day. The Seattle Sportsman Show was like February 12, 13, and 14 that year. And I just walked over. I said, listen, I don't have a Valentine's date. And it looks like you don't either. So let's go get something to eat. And she said, okay. And we just walked right out of the show together. Well, <laughs> I came in the next morning. I was a bit hungover, and, and as was my friend from Big Bay Lodge. Well, Steve Abel looks right at me, and he says, let me tell you, pal. He said, if you ever <laughs> thought you were going to lose that nickname, pal, I got news for you. It's sticking. And oh, he gave no. me that gold reel. Yeah. And I'm he, so scared written. to ask what happened. There's a reason. I'll tell you this, though. There's a reason she never spoke to you again. I don't know what it is, but I can assure you there was. Oh, a- it wasn't. No, no. It wasn't that night that she didn't speak to me again. It was, oh, okay. it was like, no, we had fun. And then the okay. following. <laughs> it, so then like in April, I was running the boat north from Sitka up to, um, I think our first stop was going to be Campbell River. And of course, you have you been to Campbell River? Yes. Love I mean, it. Have you ever been to Fight Night at Quinny's? Uh, no, can't say I have. Can't that's say every fr- that's <laughs> every fr- it's it's every Friday night at Quinny's. There's a big fight, so we always called it Fight Night. Oh, like well, like a, I, on the screen or like a punch up? No, uh, is that a Canadian term or an Australian term? A punch up? Oh, that's I've like not Aussie, heard that. Aussie term. Is there a uh, brawl? Now, <laughs> don't <laughs> Canadians call Canadian? it? A, like a Donnybrook or something like oh, that. I don't think so. Not in my era. A to- they say that on letter canning. On what? Oh, my God. Don't tell me you've never seen letter canning. Who is that? What world are you? I, think, oh I feel my- like we're in, we're in different worlds right now. No, I'm in the good <laughs> world. And you're like lost in space. Letter canning is a Canadian sitcom that's funnier than anything. 
in in the eighties, nineties? Now, no, like right now. When did it come it's out? About, like the other day. I don't no, know. No, when was it? When did it first start? Like, has it been around for decades, or uh, is it? No, like a couple years. That's why I don't do television. Rooster. Oh, it ain't on television. No, I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna text it to you, and you're gonna have to watch on your phone <laughs> okay. now. Damn it! I it's will. about a bunch of it's about a bunch <laughs> of Canadian hockey players. It's not like the Trailer Park Boys or something stupid, is it? It's way better than that. No, they talk. They they play hockey and fight a lot. Okay, All right. So you go. I'll I'll watch it. I love hockey. Not so much See, fighting. You're Canadian. I mean, I could tell you <laughs> I, I a know. Canadian joke, but I don't think. <laughs> no, I'll no, do we're that. good. I'm scared about what you're going to tell me now because there's this, there's this like sisterhood code. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have What's, to gauge. Well, whatever you're about to tell me happened in Campbell River. Oh, nothing. No, I just, just there was a big fight and and I had to get out of there and for some different reasons and I untied the boat and left. Oh, and, and you stayed. left her there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, got it. All right. <laughs> yeah, but she was. That's where she lived. So, I, like, it wasn't like I left her. Yeah. I had to get out of there. <laughs> okay. Nice All right. Thing about being a boat captain, you can untie them sons of bitches and leave. <laughs> Okay, so I'm putting all the pieces together. So your name has stuck. You yeah. you worked the first show at nine in '92. What were you doing at the trade show? Selling those uh, long range charters in Southeast Alaska, steelhead trips and salmon fishing trips. Okay, Alba, okay, stuff like that. Okay, so at this point now, are you starting to make a name for yourself as a, being a personality I, in fishing? No, I was just trying to get to work and get home every afternoon. I wasn't trying to make a name for myself. Okay. That's fishing. All yeah. right. So then where does your career and your life start to transition into? About the day I was born, it started changing. At, at any rate, um, I don't know. I, so Panama, right, we got, now we went from fight night at Quinny's to nickname. That was kind of the same year. And then um, Panama, Cranes, Marlin, Mexicans, the dude with the pleated pants. And um, I – got in a little ticket trouble just a little ticket trouble in panama and i had to leave and go back to seattle um in a hurry like i had to go so and that's a whole nother story it's it's actually a pretty good one but i mean i could tell it i don't know that you'd want to broadcast it (laughs) of course i want you to tell it you're like you know it could be it could be yes (laughs) well one year i i um uh, let's see the cliff notes of it or you um okay so i had a girlfriend living with me she was my chef on the boat in alaska we're going to leave the names out of it to protect the innocent i like even it. though there's nobody nobody innocent in this deal well um this friend of mine that i had met up in the marlin fishing grounds on the Costa Rican border called me in my office and he said hey rooster um i need a cook for ultimately the barge that we bought from him, I put him, we put him out of business. At any rate, he said, I need a cook. Can you find me a chef in Panama city and put her on a bus and send her up to David? I said, to, I said, I almost used his name. Okay. Oh no, your name. I said, yeah, you know what? I'll do you one better. Uh, my girlfriend's here and she knows the deal. She's been cooking for me in Alaska for three years. Well, that was the last I ever saw her. She left with him. So, I got a little mad. I mean, I, can you at least say I would understand the feelings were hurt and you got a little mad and angry? Yes, of course. I understand. Okay, good. Yeah. Like little feel sorry for me time would go a long way right now. 
Never, ever, ever on this is landline time. The cell phones weren't even invented yet. Well, I may or may not have told her mother on the telephone that I was going to find them both and kill them. <sighs> Sympathy out the window. Proceed. <laughs> so I came home from working at the port that day to the two black suburbans in my driveway. It was the fellow's kind gentleman from the American embassy. And uh, luckily for me, it was like that four of me showed up. Well, are we still connected? Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm mute, I muted myself yeah. so you couldn't hear me coughing. Oh, that's all right. I, I kind of feel like I might be catching it already. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay. So, okay. So, um, the, luckily these guys are, they're, they're good old boys. And they look in the driveway and there's a giant pile of stuff. It's like ashes and melted hair dryers. And they want to know what the fire was from. And I did my best lie. I can't lie about anything ever. That's my biggest problem. I, I get, I start smiling. I was like, well, I don't know what to. <laughs> you I set her things on fire? Every little last <gasps> Oh my yeah. gosh! Yeah, cheating on me is not a good program. Well, I'm just gonna um, I'm gonna buy you a string of red flags, and I'd like for you to just hang them behind you. No, I need the red. <laughs> I need the red flags for the. No, I I'm a nice guy, but if you do me wrong, I'm mad. I mean, that's just the way life should be. If you do somebody wrong, you're gonna pay for it. She lost her stuff. Well, so <laughs> these guys, they're like. You set her shit on fire, didn't you? I said, yeah, I did. They said, well, we're supposed to haul you in to jail, but we suggest you go down the street to the local bar and get drunk and meet a beautiful Colombian woman and just forget about it because you're not going to find her. You're not going to kill her. You're not going to kill him. You need to get over it. So that's what I did. Sound advice. And I, yeah, and I didn't leave the bar for like two months. I had a house. I moved into it. <laughs> You actually moved into it? Yeah, they had a little apartment upstairs and I was 10. <laughs> so I get called into my boss's office um, in the port. And uh, <laughs> at the time, I was pretty mad at him, but he kind of saved my life. Well, he uh, he said, so, Rooster, we're thinking about sending you back to Seattle. I said, you know what, Dave? That shit, that sounds pretty good. I, I got an apartment there I could go check on and, you know, do some stuff. What are you thinking? He says, yeah, you're leaving in an hour. <laughs> I said, shit, am I getting fired? He said, no, we're not firing you. We're just, you got to go back to Seattle. I said, well, okay. And he slid me the ticket. He already had the ticket box. These are paper ticket days. You couldn't get on orbits and like research flights. He got me a ticket. Well, I, I looked at it and it's a one way. <laughs> I said, well, Dave, that, uh, when am I coming back? He says, you're not. You're not coming back. <laughs> shit. So he, they, he bought my boat, bought my, I had a condo. He paid off the lease on the condo, bought my truck. I had like a 1980s Toyota Land Cruiser. And um, I moved back to Seattle and worked there for loading ships, log ships for Japan. I helped set the cruise ship terminal in the process. So that would have been like 98. Then I started guiding steelhead out in Forks. And uh-huh. Now it's okay. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's when there was nobody there and fishing was really good. 
well, fast forward from working, living just outside Seattle, fishing whenever I could. I, I was in charge of taking like the, we had a lot of Japanese customers, all the Japanese guys loading the log ships and stuff. And my boss would be like, hey, take them golfing. And I'd be like, no, I, I don't play with anything that has balls. I'm not doing that. So I'd take the Japanese guys fishing. I bring them out to Forks, catch a couple steelhead. They loved it. Yeah. Well, then I started driving around and, and ended up in Montana fishing and used, used to stay right here at my little place. I used to stay here in the 90s. And I bought it in 2002 and changed the name. It was called it was called Hemingway's Fly Shop and Lodging back in the 90s. And um, so I bought it from Chuck Hemingway, Ernest's great nephew. And there's a lot of drama that went along with that, but it was fine. And here I am, 20 years later. This is my 20th summer of running this place. Wow. So I'm. what was it about Montana that drew you there? Yes, I've been there. Yes, I know it's amazing. But for you specifically, what was it about Montana? Well, truth be told, I had a couple DUIs in those Seattle days. And in Montana, I could still drive. So that was a big up. So I came over here because I could drive. I could... I don't know if you've ever tried being a fly fishing guide and having your sister-in-law drive you to the ramps. No, it's not real. It doesn't, it's it just makes it more difficult. We got enough shit to worry about with that. Right. So I started looking at more than anything. I, I, in fishing, I knew I wanted to live somewhere where you put the fish back where everybody has to put them back. They're not being killed. And that led me to, to this trout fishery. And I'd always loved trout fishing. And uh, to this day, I live in and fish in, work in one of the areas of the state that's super unpopulated. I, I can go days and days and days and days and never see another angler. Not one. So that, that's how I ended up here. Okay. So got married, had a couple kids, got wonderful daughters, a great ex-wife who would be peeing her pants laughing right now if she's listening to this. <laughs> so how does, but wait, wait, wait. So bring me back to Montana. So you, you drive, you land in Montana and then you run into this shop. So what happens when you encounter the shop? How does that all, I don't need the drama as such, but how did that take over all happen? Okay. So Chuck, I was driving back from South Dakota, back to work in Seattle. I had taken a little vacation, went fast, I'm a big bird hunter. Um, or dog chaser, I guess. I don't even shoot that many birds anymore. But um, it, it, one of the guys working at the company I was working for called me and said, are you back yet? And I said, no, I'm just coming into Montana. He said, well, we don't have anything going on. You ought to stop in Twin Bridges and see my little brother, Chuck. And boom, here I, I just pulled in. I didn't even tell him I was coming. I just pulled in, and he's out, out in the yard, get, you know, like working on a drift boat or something. And he said, you're, you're a rooster. And I said, yeah. He said, my brother just called about a minute ago, said you might stop by tomorrow. I said, well, I can come back. He said, no, let's go fishing. Well, I was here for five minutes, and we were on the way to the big hole, to float the lower big hole. And I caught my first Montana brown trout that afternoon in the high bank hole below Pennington Bridge. And I looked at where I was and how friendly Chuck was. And we stopped and talked to a couple other ranchers on the way. And I just thought, I better start paying attention because I think I'm going to end up here. And it took me about three or four years, but then I bought his shop and cabins and stuff. And here I am. So now you, it's a fly shop, obviously. 
is it mm-hmm. a fly shop? Yeah. And then you've got yeah, it's sitting, sitting in the fly shop right now. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so how much, how many people do you have working for you? Um, that's a good question. Let's see. Uh, let me count two chefs, three housekeepers, my manager, Holly, who's the patron saint of all things, fishing and fishing guides. She's worked for me for 12 years. A uh, little shout out to Holly. Uh, oh, Holly. Oh, yeah. Woo. <laughs> she, uh, she, let's see and then 10 fishing guides uh, my daughters both work here so there's two of those and they just kind of they don't really have official positions but they get to fire most of the people that they don't like they, they get to tell them which is not never a good you don't want to be fired by those girls that pretty much means nobody likes you if they don't like you really nobody likes you right so are you still guiding yeah. then yeah I guided today so, but how many days a week are you guiding? Um, through June and July, I'll guide seven days a week. And then we get into August and I start getting, my feet get a little hot. So do you ever get tired of guiding? Because how, how old are you? You don't seem bashful. How No, I, no I never get tired of guiding. <laughs> you know this is video. It's right? always <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> I think we can see you. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> what are you going to do Hell about yeah. it? Do you, do you have a plan? Yeah, of course. I've always got a plan. I'm an outfitter. You have to have a plan. Always what's what, have what's plan. your what's your plan when it starts to become too much? Because how old are you now? Uh, I just turned 31. No, I'm serious. How old are you? I believe in embracing <laughs> your age. I, I, I turned 51 this weekend. Have you ever struggled with having it, your brand be based around yourself? Like, do you, or do you, do you still have a lot of people who come in and want to be guided by you? Are they happy to be taken out by the other guides? You're one smart cookie, aren't you? Um, See a couple yeah. things. Struggle with that. I, uh, I don't struggle with it. Um, I, I have tried as hard as I could with my brand. Like on my website, I really sell my guides and, and, and quite honestly, that in many facets of everything, they're better guides than I am. I'm kind of at the tail end of my tolerance for bad gas. Do you know Steve Perry from Terrace? Yeah, he guides on the Skeena. Guides okay. on the Skeena for Jeff Vermillion. Okay. Steve, yeah, per- Steve Perry and I were, were swinging a run on the, in the Skeena one day. And, and we were a bit far from the helicopter. And um, he said, he said, Rooster, I bet you there's a, steelhead over there by that log and big log in the tail out and i said okay so i threw a cast over there and then i hooked the freaking log well i didn't have any flies with me first of all i normally do but i didn't it was the last day we're flying home to um we're flying back to smithers and so we decided to fish a couple runs well i break my stupid fly off in the log and i strip my line and i said steve hand me a flag or fly he, he's a guide. He's guiding. He got to have a fly. He said, uh, he says, oh, yeah, Roos, I got you a fly right here. And he flips his Sims pocket open from his waders. <laughs> he's got a black woolly bugger. And there's nothing even left to it. Like some chenille and like maybe two <laughs> strands of marabou. And a pistol peat. You know what a pistol peat is? No. It's got the little, prope- it's got the little propeller on the head. Awesome fly. And I said, you're kidding me, right? (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen, I mean, I said, you, you're fucking kidding me right now, aren't you? He said, no, these are work. These are work fine. I said, I know they'll work. These are the dumbest steelhead in the world. But you're also guiding on the most pristine steelhead scenario situation ever. And I don't even know what the bill is for this because I ain't paying it. The guy with the helicopter's paying it. But I'm guessing it's probably really expensive. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty expensive. I said, you don't carry any flies. He said, I have flies. I just showed them to you. I said, well, give me the fucking pistol feet. So I thought, that pistol feet up. You ever try and cast a pistol feet with a propeller spinning? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, don't I catch the, a fish on the f- pistol feet? So we bring it in and, and have a good laugh about it. I reel it up, but I'm just done. I caught enough fish. We're sitting on the side of the river, and I said, Steve, you're going to have to tell me how it is that you can, you're, you're a steelhead guide. But you don't even want a guy. Like, you're doing it. You're here, but you're not here. I don't even know where the fuck you're at. He said, Rooster, every guide, every fishing guide has a finite number of bad casts that they can watch. And I reach my limit. And I'm a little afraid that I'm getting kind of close to my limit. I'm not there yet, but I <clears throat> I can see it from time to time. I, and I, I, I've had some other good friends, Brian Grossebacher, who got out of the business, and we've chit-chatted about it. And, and I, I'm doing what I can to maintain my level of enthusiasm. And as my good friend Jim Kerr, who I guided with in Forks for so long, says, keep that trier button turned right about to the middle. Don't try too hard, but don't not try. Keep it like on a five. So I'm keeping my trier at like a five or a six. And it's fine. I like good fishing. It's when it gets hot and crappy that I don't like it. Well, what are the biggest changes that you've seen in your area over the last 20 years? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I had that conversation today with, with the guy that I took carp fishing. Here's, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, it was good. We caught seven of the bastards. Well, um, water. It, it, you cannot argue that whether we're in a drought cycle, I'm a big fan of nature's cycles. This one's going a bit long. It can change whenever it wants. Whether we're in a drought cycle or global warming is just absolutely realistic. And I I have to believe in parts of that. I can't deny it at this point. Our water has changed. Our insect hazards have changed. Not all of it for the worse. Not all of it for the better. But to, to say that it's not different, you're kidding yourself. And then you add in the pressure. The COVID pressure. I mean, this state just flooded with people in 2020. And they didn't leave. They're still here. Luckily, where I work, it we're a bit far from Bozeman. It's a couple hours by the time you get to any good fishing. And I can still hide out and do my thing. Pressure, water flows. What else has changed? Uh, my back hurts a lot while I'm guiding. That really bothers me. Um, uh... Those are the main factors, people and and water. We still have the fish. Our fish counts are great. They just don't like to bite when it's low and hot. I don't like to do anything when it's hot either. So I can, I like, I relate. Yeah, totally. So what about the hatches though? So what's changed? Because that whole hatch, Montana hatch is fascinating to me. Um, our numbers of mayflies and caddis, our real sustenance hatches, just seem to be, 
not what they once were. And I don't want to be the guy that says it, you know, this is still the good old days in every fashion, in my opinion. It was a lot different 20 years ago. Guess what? 20 years before that, it was different too. I wasn't here then. Um, Our hatches seem sparser. Our water conditions seem lower. So you take lower water, the temperatures are a bit warmer, and some of those real true cold water insects, they don't thrive. They're still there, and we still, of course, get trout to eat them all the time. But the days of just tying on a parachute atoms and floating down the big hole, when, when there's just mayflies most days, uh, I haven't seen that in years, years and years. You still see mayflies, but not the carpet hatches, not the, not the blankets, not the, oh, my God, there's 15 different colors of mayflies. Which, what are we going to fit? It didn't matter. You just threw a parachute at them, so they ate it. So we see little flashes of it getting better. The state's done a bunch with irrigators, and um, we're trying to keep as much water as we can in the rivers both in our industry and in the ranching industry, those guys are all my friends and I eat a lot of beef. So I, I, you'll never hear me say a bad thing about a rancher. Do I think there's a a better uh, balance, a better happy medium that we could both agree on? Absolutely. Are we going to get there anytime soon? Nope. It's going to be a long time. Were you there when the hatchery program was in and then taken out? No, that was, I think in 73 or 74. Um, so no, I would have been milking cows then. I wasn't fishing Montana trout then. Do you know anything about it? Can you explain to people who have never even heard of this, what, what I'm talking about? Okay. Um, do you want the truth or a lie you'll believe? <laughs> <laughs> the truth from, from you, 100% the truth, please. <laughs> cause we all know um, if you just start laughing that you're bullshitting anyway, cause you've already told yeah, me how gonna, to tell when you're okay, lying. Gonna, um, so straight what face. happened, what really happened was <laughs> my facts might not be right. I know that it was 72 or three when the biologists decided that we had naturally re- reproducing trout. At that time, a lot of them were cutthroat. They also figured out and understood that some of the hatchery trout they were putting in the rivers were trying to, to crossbreed with them. They said, that's probably not going to end well. So they quit throwing trout in the rivers. We had naturally reproducing populations of both browns and rainbows and cutthroat. I think what happened in the late 70s, early 80s, I wish I could get Eric Shores on speed dial now. Um, He knows everything about the Madison. And that was largely where the studies were taken. They saw population explosions in a certain strain of rainbows. And I think they came from the McLeod River in California. And they just left it alone and let nature do its thing. Which in so many cases, as we all know, we stick our hands in something, it just ruins it. That's how the hatchery program went away. Um, whirling disease was in the early 90s and took out a bunch of those rainbows. But the rainbows that survived the whirling disease showed a resistance to it. And through the expansion of that strain of rainbow trout um, and education of of landowners in the riparian area, the, the, the river corridors, fencing cattle out. Uh, there was some science that proved that the uh, cow manure was a, a, an incubator for the for whirling disease. 
Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. How did the locals or the generational, you know, the Montana folk, the sixth generation Montana folk, how did they take to you coming in and taking over this particular lodge? I mean, it's a pretty big call. I'm going to say that I was pretty nervous about that very thing. And I don't get nervous about much. But they were super nice. You know, I'm going to stereotype some people here, and and I'm not even going to apologize for it. If you show up in Montana, and Daddy bought you a truck, and Daddy bought you a drift boat, and you go buy the you know the cowboy hat, and you're a fly fishing guide, they're not going to really give you the time of day. They're not going to. I'm not going to. No one's going. You show up here and buy a business, and pour your blood, sweat, and tears into it, and. And your wife at the time is the, the local doctor. She was the pediatrician here in the Ruby Valley. It, I, I experienced zero issues with any of that. But I attribute it to the fact that I, at the time, was married to a very pleasant woman and everybody liked her. So that didn't hurt things. And we worked hard and, and we buy drinks for people and we respect landowner property rights. And like anything else in life, April, if you're, if you're a dirt bag, you're going to get treated like a dirt bag. If you're not, hopefully other people recognize that and and um, you become part of the community. Does Mont? I mean, you've lived in other places of the world. Does Montana, in particular, mm-hmm. attract a cesspool of "quote unquote" dirt bags? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> there's some there's some fabulous young men that 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 have been guiding for me this summer and that I've met on the rivers. And there are some that I just absolutely, I, I just, I just can shake my hand. Like, why, why are you even doing this? Why, who, to, who, who signed your outfitter license? Who signed your guide license? I'd like to meet that guy. And it's likely somebody like me that you get in a bind, you got a big group and, Oh my God, can, can we bring a group of 20? Well, yeah, I, I'm greedy little fucker. I want, yeah, I want your 10 boats on, june 10th of course i do but all my other guides are already booked solid so i'm gonna hire the kid that daddy bought the boat for and send some people down the river and that is such a no-no it's it's a loser for everybody involved they're not getting what they're paying for they're never coming back and then my brand my name you know reflects that so i've quit doing it i've become really good at saying no to stuff yep love it let me ask you some fishing questions Sure. Drift boat or raft? Personally, which do you prefer and why? Oh, um, what's the flow of the river? 
Oh. Okay. <laughs> I, does it, my, ma- does it my, matter? In my yard, yeah, it matters. It totally tell matters. Me all, tell me all about it. This is all new for me. I, I'm not experienced with any of this stuff. Um, in my yard, I have a jet boat, a 12-foot NRS otter raft, two-seater, a flycraft one-seater, an adipose flow drift boat, a clackacraft headhunter skiff, and a belly boat, two of them. And I use all of them. They're tools of the trade. To to be a one-boat guy, you're you're not going to guide around Twin Bridges very long. You use a belly boat in the river? No. There's some lakes that I like to go into. But in the river, though, in the river, especially to your guiding. Let's let's give you a typical day. You've got a, a, like, who are you guiding today? I don't need names, but do you have a single person, two people? I I had a single today that wanted to get... He, we in conversation he came to my bird dog clinic this weekend and in conversation we were I mean, if i tell you about the conversation we we're in the fly shop at two o'clock in the morning drinking whiskey the other night and i offered him a half off sale on everything in the shop at 2 a.m if he knew the words <laughs> to redneck mother by jared jeff walker and the fucker knew him so he bought two fly rods so it was like a two for one sale and um and he just happened to say he wanted to get better at saltwater casting. So I said, we're going carp fishing. And I put him in my jet boat. I have a polling platform on my jet boat. And I pulled him around all day. And he loved it. He probably threw it at 1,000 fish today and got 10 or 11 of them to bite. It was awesome. So that was today. Um, tomorrow, I'm going to guide the Yellowstone River because my current ri- my local rivers are closed. They closed due to low water a week ago, the big hole and the beaver head and the Jefferson are closed. And I'm not going to go to the Madison with everybody from Bozeman. So, uh, tomorrow I have a guy from Texas who's fished with me for 20 years. He just happens to be in Bozeman on business. And I said, you know what, Brian, I'm coming to you and I'll bring a drift boat. We got off topic. We had sidebarred again. So, Water's so water, do you, you use, use a raft so that you can bounce off rocks and stuff? I mean, that's just obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, uh, bounce off rocks. Um, you're going to hit rocks. If you hit rocks with a hard with a hard boat, every nice trout within I don't know how far how far is how far does that noise go down the river? I mean, let's let them know we're coming even more. John from Missouri who false casts eight hundred times and won't sit down, even though I told him four hundred times, and he still <laughs> won't mend it. So I tap a rock, and now he's really not going to catch anything for the next mile. So you, oh, then you get in the raft. So what are your yeah. thoughts then on like on water loading and uh, making noise on the river? With your line. I try and avoid it and try and teach people not to do it. For trout, for steelhead, you kind of have to. If you're throwing a spay rod, like you have to, that's the way it is. But you're throwing or it way over there. So single hand rod, but. Or you, or you just fish a single hand rod. Yeah. There's a so lot when, of ways to skin these cats. Yeah, but it's interesting to hear your thoughts on noise underwater. What are your, what are your thoughts on um, metal soled boots or cleats? Gravel. Oh, I, I don't think that has anything to do with it. No, Not, especially steelhead world. The fish are kind of usually out there or below you. Below you, I get I get scared about it a little. But how many times? Like a lot of the steelhead that we're catching are moving. They're not holding fish. So, I don't, but with trout, I'm know. talking about in Montana because not everyone's in a boat. For the guys and gals who are on shore, um, walk wading. Ah, oh, shit. I don't wear them. I know that. So you're a felt sole guy? I wear flip-flops most 
most of the time. <laughs> it's hot here. It's 95 degrees today. I don't know wear wading boots. Yeah, no. fair enough. Fair enough. I wear it's I wear short shorts and flip flops, and I don't use sunscreen. Okay, no, that doesn't. None of that stuff surprises me. But okay, so let me <laughs> let me. I'm just painting myself a, a day on the river with you. All right, so I'm. <laughs> so no, you can't do that. No, you can't paint that picture. No. <laughs> But I'm trying. I'm, okay, so bring me into bring me into this, and let me put you on track here with carp fishing, because it's yeah. funny. I actually just did this thing with Peter Morse about with with carp. He has some great points about carp fishing that I totally agree with. That carp make you a better angler, especially when no it comes question. to being a, a saltwater angler. Do you feel mm-hmm. like carp are poo pooed for any valid reasons, or are people just not used to or not aware of how beneficial they are? I think it's probably safe to say that in today's world, one is not incorrect to assume that not everyone has the same opinion on everything. And you know what? Good. If they don't like carp fishing, I'm not going to see them out there while I'm doing it. Good. Hate them. Hate them. They're awful. Yeah. Terrible <laughs> fish. They smell they're slimy. Um, but in your opinion, why do you think that carp make you a better angler? Uh, make people better have, angler. You have to feed them. They they and and some in some cases they'll move on your fly, but they'll move on it because it crossed both their eyes within about six inches. You got to get their attention, and you can't throw it five feet left and stare at your your little. I think I was throwing frogs today, <laughs> and you can't just stare at your little frog and hope they swim over and bite. They're not gonna. That you got to put wait, it wait, right wait. in front. Of them. You fishing frogs for carp? Yeah. On the top? No, no, no. Diving frogs. Frogs dive. Yeah, they sure do. Okay, so then, oh, that's mm-hmm. it. I didn't know that they were that aggressive. Honestly, I always have been using. I've always been using nymphs. Oh, nymphs work too. Will they chase I a caught, frog? Let's see. Four did today. <laughs> wow, that's exciting. Yeah, I tied some frogs last night out of deer hair and put dumbbell eyes on them, and they went down their legs. Two big pieces of rabbit that was kicking off the back. The frog. What size? What size are you? What size hook are you using? Uh, this, this is like on a six size. And six. you don't have any no problem getting them hooked or anything. Obviously, you don't have to use a special hook or something. No, depends on if you trout set or you can't trout set on a carp. You got to strip. Oh, okay. so another mm-hmm. saltwater. Tip. Yeah, yeah. I think when, when we were making a list about the other day, it was like you had to sight fish to them. So you had to learn how to sight fish, obviously. Mm-hmm. You had to feed mm-hmm. them. Um, your hook set's obviously going to be important. What else? What mm-hmm. other reasons are there to fly fish for carp? It just it makes you uh, – it to improve your cast. It, you, so just like saltwater fishing, you've got this imaginary ring around the boat at 30 to 50 feet, and that's where you catch all your fish. And, it, yeah, you see them in – 10 15 20 feet 25 feet and you also see them at 100 you never catch saltwater fish at 100 feet it's fun to throw the whole fly line but you never catch a fucking thing way out there you can't manipulate your fly and feed fish that 50 foot circle well carp they're just like permit that you if you can get on them and present the fly out there if they want to follow it you've got some room to play with before they hit that um what was it what they have in star wars the force field that went around the death star Boats yeah. have those, and the carp won't bite your fly if they're inside of it. Neither will permit, in most cases. So yeah, it makes right. I didn't caster. even know. 
I didn't know that you guided for carp. That's really cool. What other species are around there? So you've got brown trout, rainbow trout, carp. That's pretty much it. Um, so it's funny, you know, talking to Jeff earlier, we just kind of let the mic roll. And I was, he had asked me something about my happiness. And I was explaining that I just became a whole different, more relaxed human once I realized that I didn't have to be a specialist at anything in particular. I didn't have to be the best caster. I didn't have person or the streamer person. I just kind of let that sort of focus go. Do you feel like you are, everyone gets everyone gets painted into a box, whether they like it or not, but do you have a, a specialty? Like, is there something in particular that people see you as a specialist with? Women. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> I'm serious. What? what? <laughs> 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 the ladies <laughs> the ladies <laughs> no but is there um, something that people put you in that that category i we actually had a chat about that this weekend um i put on a bird dog clinic and brought in a, a really renowned trainer friend of mine and then uh one of my best friends john hudgens i do a lot of hunting with he's also a fly fishing guide on the henry's fork he worked for yellow dog and all that stuff um we had that chit chat around the table and According to, to John, one of my true talents is bringing people together. And I took that as a compliment. I really did. Um, yeah, I can grab a fly rod and hang with most people. I've seen better. I've seen a lot worse. Um, I, I feel like I'm lucky. I catch a lot of fish, but I'm luckier than I am good at it. And because I had, and I thought about this today while I was polling, I almost we got in a little slow window today and I was pulling, pulling the flats boat and I texted Brett Greco down in Florida. Do you ever fall asleep while you're pulling on the platform? He said, fuck yeah, all the time. I said, well, I'm falling asleep right now. He said, get down and move the boat, drive somewhere and wake up. So I did. And I woke up. It was fine. But that's my talent is to bring people together. And through it all, because I can do that, I get to go to a lot of places on hosted trips. And I, I, I learned to permit fish by watching it done poorly, according to Jorge, my permit guide, little brother in Mexico. Um, so, yeah, if, if and so I've tried to explain this to my daughter. Uh, little number two, Junior, she, she's 11 and she's a very quick study. And she's asked me, she said, Dad, why does everybody want to fish with you? And not, not so much just with me in my boat, but why does – she was fascinated. I was having a, a chit-chat with a guy from Britain the other night on the phone who listened to your podcast or I don't know what it was. She said, well, you're famous. I said, no, 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 no. There's a lot – there's – A, fame only lasts so long. you got to be careful about that. And B, you don't want to be famous. I'd rather be – you know. I'd rather be rich. the other – yeah, <laughs> take the rich. Yeah, yeah. I'll take no, the I'll, fortune, not, not the fame. Yeah, all fishermen are rich. We all know that. Um, so I just explained to her, I, I said, you know what, Katie? Um, if if I could attribute it to one thing, why why does everybody want to fish with me? Uh, yeah, I have, according to you, half-naked pictures all over the internet and whatnot. But I said, if you can take every day of your life and find a way to do something for someone else, not for you, for someone else that they recognize that you went out of your way, you poured the drinks at dinner, you you carried their luggage to the room, you 
you open their door to get in the guide trade. Simple, chivalrous things. Going fishing today, Rick. Here, let me get the door for you. Your truck's clean. Your attention to detail, which I learned in the Coast Guard. I haven't lost that. I'm borderline OCD. Everything's organized. But it, as I explained it to her, if you could, if you can make somebody else's life better every day because of you, because you did it for them, you get a friend for life because no one does it anymore. Everybody's a selfish bastard. And I, I, just, I just can't live that. I can't live like that. I refuse to live like that. So yeah, there. Thank goodness. That's, no, that's great. Yeah. I hate when I hear that chivalry is dead because it doesn't have to be. It's mm-hmm. so easy. And I love to hear you say, I love to hear you say holding the door open for another man. I mean, there's sure. some women out there's some people out there who are like, oh, you don't hold the door open for me. You can hold the door open for me at any time. I don't <laughs> think it has to, I don't think it has to be a gender-based thing at all. Um, I definitely mm-hmm. don't want to go down that ro- rabbit hole. Did you, <laughs> did you ever, <laughs> did you ever no, feel pressure No, I was though? never gay. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> it's and it's okay if you were, but I have a question. <laughs> I've got so many jokes right now that I'm just refraining. I'm just going to bite my tongue right now and we say that so we're bloopers. not rolling. Do a blooper. You want to sell right. some shit? Do a bloopers cut. <laughs> Again, I'm just going to let the I'm going to let the jokes flow. I'll I'll wait till we're not um, not rolling with that. But did you ever feel the pressure? Did you ever feel the pressure to have to specialize in something, be the guy who was good at rowing or be the guy who was good with hopper droppers? I don't know, that kind of stuff. Um, you, know what, you know what the pressure is? The pressure that I feel is being the guy that gets groups of fishermen to come fish with my boys, with the guides. I lose sleep at night over that. I could care less about the fishing. The fish, These fish live here. They, they live in the river. They're are they're a, a, what's the word? This is a grown-up word thing again. Captive audience. Residents? Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Residents, captive audience. Like, when you were guiding for steelhead, did we get any fresh fish in? It rained. Oh. It rained. The river came up. It's going to drop. Yeah. Oh, after the drop's going to be great. And then it sucks. And you're like, well, sorry, Mr. Jones. Or they're it netting sucks. out in the inlet, and you're like, they're oh, there. Yeah. They're just not here yet. Yeah. Yeah, they can't get here because of the giant gill net. Right. Um, so... The pressure I feel, I we have great fishing and I have great guides. My pressure is getting people here to fish. And that's why I attribute my success at that to being nice to people. So they come does back. Does that make any sense? Does that make yeah. any, I don't even know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. But it's it's just, you know, what it's like as an outfitter and as a personality. It's like you get invited to these shows and you're invited to come in and speak. And people want to leave with some sort of real aha moment and so you know yeah. it's easy you, you've got someone who like brian chan will go and well clearly he's going to teach you about chronomids and i often wonder i mean obviously you've got humor i think a lot of people really gravitate to, towards you not only obviously because you're engaging and likable but i think that you've been branded as this humorous person um but is that like is that enough and is that exhausting do you ever just feel tired and not wanting to be on all the time with the smile and and the laughs yeah, I do. I do, but that's just not me. I just, I, I, I don't eat. I, yes, I do, but I do that in November, and December, and January, and and I go hide with my bird dogs and just go, just unwind and kind of recover from from the season. Um, you know, I, I had a, a, and you're right about all that, and and 
kudos to you. I mean, we've never even spoken until now. So largely a lot of the information that you're getting is from social media and probably talking it. We, I'm sure we have a bunch of mutual friends. Um, there's a whole nother side to old rooster that some people see from time to time. And I'm going to start now a minute ago. We we're laughing, telling dirty jokes. I'm going to start crying. Think about this stuff. Um, I cannot take credit for what I'm about to say. The credit goes to a dog trainer friend of mine named John Mickletrot, who gave a, a kind of a lecture yesterday morning on my tailgate on the, on the top of a big wheat field. And we're looking at the back of mountains and there, there's 10 guys there and all these beautiful dogs just staked out. And we're, I, I, this has nothing to do with fly fishing, but it, does, it has everything to do with fly fishing. He encouraged everybody in the group to oh I gotta word this right it's all right to be mad but you don't act mad when you're dealing with dogs it's the same thing guiding fishermen it's okay to be pissed that John just threw your flies in the trees again and you gotta row upstream and get them or 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 Eddie can't he just can't reach men. It's not going to, you're not going to catch that fish or, or <laughs> Brian can't snap to a spay rod. Guess what? He might not care if he can snap to a spay rod. He encouraged everybody in the group to be present. A bird dog, when you let them out of their kennels is right there. That's where they are. That's what they're doing. That's what they're focused on. They are present. Are you present? Are you present when you're guiding? Are you in tune with your customers? Turn the fucking phones off. Enjoy the moment. Be there for your customers in the drift boat. And that goes with the customers too. Whether it's on the Steelhead River or in a flats boat or wherever it might be. Be in the moment. These moments that we have, April. I'm telling you, living proof they could be gone tomorrow. I said goodbye to my daughter in an ambulance in front of the fly shop two years ago. Having a heart attack. And the EMT had the paddles charged sitting, sitting above me. And I made them stop the ambulance and run in my house to get my daughter so I could say goodbye. Oh my God. That, uh, oh my gosh, that's unbelievable. So that was, oh, that's what you said earlier about the COVID thing. Yeah. So you actually had a full fledged so, heart attack. You didn't have the peri and the myocarditis. You had a full fledged no, heart attack. No, I went down and, I, and I, I acted like it didn't happen for 36 hours when I finally went to the ER. Because uh, I'm superhuman. I can't die. Nothing bad's going to happen to me ever. When I went to the ER, they, uh, the ER, the uh, ER doc said, uh, he said, I got to get you to Bozeman. I got to get you to Bozeman now. And I said, well, I'll just drive. He said, no, no, Rooster, you don't understand. He said, you've had a heart attack and you're going to have another one any second. And I can't keep you alive. So we're trying to get a helicopter in to fly me to Bozeman, but it's snowing too badly. And um, he said, you're going to go to ambulance. 
So in, in comes the ambulance. I get me strapped down the ambulance. And I called uh, one of my favorite customers slash friend slash mentors, Jimmy Clute out in Michigan. And I said, hey, just so you know, uh, I might not be able to talk to you for a couple of days or ever again. He said, what? And I said, yeah, I had a heart attack. I'm loaded up and I'm going. And he said, oh, you're not going to die. He said, I've seen your death and this ain't it. And I kind of needed to hear that at that point. So that was right before I, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Stop this ambulance. Go get my daughter. I want to say goodbye to her. And I did. And she opened up the. the <laughs> she opened up the doors of that ambulance and stuck her head in there. And, and uh, as only a little 16 year old girl can say it, she said, Daddy, you look like shit. I said, well, I feel like shit. And uh, she said, did you have a heart attack? I said, yep, I did. I said, but I'm in good hands now, bud. Um, feed those bird dogs for me. Whoa, what an experience. She said, when can you call me and tell me? And I said, I, I said, but I, I, I don't really know what's about to happen, but you'll be my first phone call. And I'm guessing it'll be sometime in the morning. She said, all right. So they woke me up at about 4 a.m. They put two, two stents in my right myocardial artery. It was 100% blocked for 36 hours. And uh, I call at 4 a.m. thinking I'd just leave her a message and she could wake up and hear dad. Oh, no. They got like halfway through the first ring. She McCall, McCall wasn't sleeping. She answered. And I told her, I said, listen, dude, I, I'm going to be all right. We're going to get through that just like everything else in life. We'll be just fine. And she said, I'm going to go to sleep now. I said, all right. So am I. So then <laughs> I got to stay in the hospital for two days. And no one can come visit. It's full COVID time. It's November of 2020. Right, 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 right. Guess who came to, Who guess who snuck into the hospital and came and saw me? Kelly Harrison from Missoula, Montana, who guides for me. She's like my little sister. She snuck in there with a can of Copenhagen and a batch of flowers. <laughs> and sat there with me for eight hours. We just shot the ship. Kelly, you want to know a good person? That, that's one of them right there. So Kelly leaves. And a few hours later, the nurses are like, okay, well, well. And, of course, I may or may not have been flirting with all the nurses. There's a couple that were real pretty. And... <laughs> they said, okay, uh, Daniel. They kept calling me Daniel. Said, My name's not fucking Daniel. Well, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna let you go. No, you, you can we're gonna discharge. So I said, okay, well, would it be all right if I just took a shower? I was in a brand new cardiac room in the at Deaconess Hospital in Bozeman. They said, Yeah, it'd be great. I said, Okay, well, I'm gonna go take a shower and I've got a friend coming to pick me up. John Hudgens is gonna come pick me up. So I get in the I got in the in the shower, A, it felt good. I hadn't had a shower in two days. I had surgery and, you know, at any rate, I had all the stickers, the EKG and the monitor stickers. I just got stickers all over me. And the only way they come off is water. So I got, I reached out and I got that thing just going hot. And it's not like a normal shower. It's like a hospital shower. If you want to take a dump at the same time, there's a toilet right there. And then you can shave while you're doing that. But there's a sink. And it's just all in one room. Well, I look. I'm leaning on the wall and I got the water. I feel good. I'm not dead. So I looked down. 
the fucking water is up to my knees in the shower. All my little stickers. (laughs) 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 So I'm like, shit. So I turned the handle off. I shut the water up. I don't know what to do. The water's running out of the the bathroom shower thing and into the all the wires and the the, the things that the, it cost millions of dollars. I thought, well, fuck, here we go. So I pulled the oh shit handle. In comes all the same nurses I've been flirting with for two days, and I'm buck naked and wet in the shower. I have nothing. <laughs> They're like, what the hell happened in here? Are you all right? Are you dying? They think I'm dying. I said, no. <laughs> um, Fine, ladies. <laughs> you're you're going to want to check on the feller downstairs. I'm sure he's getting wet. But before you do that, could you bring me a towel? Yeah. <laughs> so well, at least you found some humor in it. How did that whole experience change you and your outlook? I don't say no. I don't say no to anything anymore. I do it everything. Yeah. Really. Yeah, the, the, the Puerto Rico trip uh, two weeks ago, uh, or 10 days ago, Matt Porbe called. He said, Rooster, I could use your help down here. I got these pain the ass permit. I can't get an invite. You want to come down and check it out? They said, yeah, I'll be on the plane on Friday. I mean, that was the conversation. I'd never met him. I didn't know I, I didn't know he was picking him up at the airport. And I, I called a good customer of mine, Justin Trail from Texas. I said, hey, Justin, we're going to Puerto Rico. He said, good. <laughs> and that was that's, That's it. the trip. Yeah. Is it going to yeah. push you into retirement earlier? Do you think? No. If anything, I'll go longer. Yeah, because I spent most of my retirement already. <laughs> yeah. None of those trips are cheap. <laughs> oh well, look. At least you're finding something good in it. That whole thing was just an absolute. The whole COVID thing was just a nightmare. So it was yeah. just. Again, kind of. I don't want to dive down the COVID talk, but off the record, it was COVID itself that did it. Not like was it COVID that did it? Or was it the been, vaccine I've that been, did it? Uh, I hadn't had the vaccine at the time. So COVID, yeah. I, I did. I did have COVID ten days before it, but I also it was in poor. This genetically, I I was a prime candidate for a heart attack, and you know if anybody's listening to this. All those pills those doctors give you and tell you to take them every day, just take them every day. I, I had um, I had medicine for my cholesterol, and I, you know I take it about half the time, if that. I thought it was making me fat, so I, and I'm very vain. I can't be fat, so I, I didn't take it, and I got a heart attack as a result of it. But it's a life changing event. Made me a better person. Well, can't go wrong there. So what's next for you? What's in your future? Are you going to do this until the day that you die? Are you going to sell off? Are you going to write a book? What are you going to do? Uh, I got about 44 chapters of the book written. Um, and I'm not going to publish it till I'm done, till everything sells. And it'll go. It's, um, and I'm going to need exciting. a lot of help. Yeah, it's fun. Um, yeah, there's, it's all the stories. It's, it is the most disorganized series of fishing stories you've ever even attempted to fucking comprehend from Brazil to Alaska and the Seychelles. And I mean, every, everywhere I go, something funny happens and I've written it down. And, you know, Oh my gosh. I can't, is this are, your first book? Yeah. Yeah. I, oh. I can barely, I can barely speak the English language, April. How am I going to write a book? 
Oh, I'd read it in a heartbeat. Tell me your, tell me your favorite chapter. If you, if you don't mind, I know it's giving it away, but give me your favorite chapter. And then I promise I'll let you go back to your tequila in your night. Oh no, I, I, I haven't written it yet. I don't, I don't know what it is. Tell me your favorite in your a chapter doesn't need to be on paper. Tell me in your mind, your favorite chapter. So my favorite chapter, not really of the book, but of my life so far the two date, I turned 51 on Sunday. Um, my favorite chapter. <laughs> April, I've got like a hundred favorite chapters. I just love everything so much fun. Um, <laughs> It's it's got to be those daughters of mine. It has to be. I and I don't I don't know. I I you could have like emailed me that question. I could have fucking thought about it a little bit before you asked it to me. Point blank, you put me on the spot. That's the whole point of this. It's never fun if you have time to think about it. Um, I'm I, I think my favorite chapter is. The day I realized I'm not the best at everything and I don't have to be the best at everything. And it's not really a specific day, but the day that I realized that it's not, life's not all about me. And this was somewhere in the Alaska years. And I started putting other people first. My life improved and it improved notably. And you know what? Thank you, because I don't think I've written about that. That's right. That's in the archives. That's that's up there somewhere. So who knows what will come of that? Now I'm going to get drunk and go think about it and tie flies. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good, good. Well, I love it. Look, I think it's great. I'm excited to watch what you end up doing. I mean, you're still really young, too. That's the thing. 51 is still really young. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. And yeah, I, I have my moments where I feel like I'm about 20. Um, if I take my hat off, I'm clearly not 20. But you I've been bald since 20. I was, I was bald since I was 18. So, <laughs> right? so nothing's changed. No, it doesn't really bother me. That hair. What What age are you still in your head? What age are you still? Like I'm still 25. I'll always be 25 in my mind. I'm always, I, even though I'm almost 40, I'm still 25. Why are you always 25? How can, because, I wanna, I'm going to start a fucking podcast and ask you all these questions. You could ask me whatever you'd like, but <laughs> yeah, that's what we're going to do. Because I feel uh-huh. I don't know. I'm still in the same like that girl. Still mentally, that I'm still there. I'm still wild and funny, and even though my body can't necessarily or shouldn't do all the things that it used to. It in my head, it's still I'm still that wild, crazy, there's a, there's allowed a to die. Yeah. Because you're not, you're not allowed that. to die now, right? Remember when no. you used to be allowed to die? But now with kids, you can't you can't die. No, no, God, no. Mm-mm. No. But the, the, there's a line about what you're saying. and It's, it's when your mouth's writing checks that your body can't cash. <laughs> there you go. I'm doing so that. Anyway, you're, got to, you're got still in your checks. 20s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still jumping out of helicopters as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, you, God, you, you, you know what? I'm going to give you a, a lot of credit. Having never spoke to you and 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 not knowing what this was going to be all about, and, and y'all are listening. The email said I wrote 
what's this podcast about? And April wrote back you. So that's all I had going into it. Uh, and uh, you're, you're the best podcaster I've ever spoken with. Hands oh. down, not, not even fucking close. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And I mean it. I mean it from the bottom. You make of a fantastic Most- guest yourself. <laughs> well, that's, not, not, that's not hard when I'm drunk. Um. <laughs> well, maybe. Well, actually, I'm going to be coming to Montana in the summer, so we'll have to swing by and say hello. Wait, wait. What, what summer? What year? Oh, uh, next year. Next year. So is that the same year in Australia, or is that a year ahead or a year behind? Because we couldn't even get the time right for this fucking interview. Right. <laughs> right. I forgot about that. June. <laughs> June 2023, I will be in Montana. Okay. You, while you're planning your little vacation, are you bringing your daughter? Or uh, you have a no, son? on that one, on that one, I've got a daughter. No, on that one, I'm not bringing her. Okay. So who's coming? I'm, I'm hosting a member's trip. So once a year, I just bring some members with me on a trip and we're going to come on down. Where are you going? I think we're trying to arrange it with Kelly. I don't know if, do you and Kelly talk? Kelly Gallup? Yeah. Kelly Harrison. Oh, oh yeah. No, Gallup. Gallup. Oh, Kelly, you're going to be right down the street. Oh. Uh, well, what? Yeah. They, he's only about 45 minutes from me. Well, yeah, you right. just tell, you just, while you're negotiating with Kelly, just be like, you know what? Rooster said he'd do it a bit cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> I might do that. <laughs> no, you absolutely you have to do it. Because you know he doesn't have the patience to listen to this podcast, so he's never going to hear it. He'll never listen, his no eight, way. <laughs> no, his ADD is worse than mine. <laughs> That's hilarious. I didn't but, know you guys were so close. Oh, yeah, God, I right. would fear to be a fly on the wall to watch you two together. Holy. We only got in one bar fight, but we were on the same team, and it was good. We won. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I'll come by. I will. I'll come by and say hello. Absolutely. Well, I genuinely appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Do not be a stranger. Like I said, if you come to Australia, New Zealand, or British Columbia, you've got a place. Yeah, but what, like when are you where? Uh, well, who, that's the magic question. I have no idea. Yeah, right. So, okay, well, I'm going uh, to be in when British the Columbia next good, week. I'll look you up next week. I'll be in British Columbia in two weeks. I'll see you there. No, we'll probably miss. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm only there for a week. Are you honestly going to BC next week? Yeah. Really? Field season, April. I don't know if you know Wait, that or not. Yeah, but it's only August 30th here. Well, 29th for you. Where Where are you going in BC? I can't tell you. That's a secret. This <laughs> okay. is the, everybody's listening. I will be in British Columbia from September 14th for a couple months. So I'll be around. Oh, a couple months? Okay. Yeah, so let, let me know All if right. you're there. Yeah, I, I probably then it's full-on bird season, and I have a busy October here. So I, we're probably not going to run into each other. On this go okay. I'll see you in Montana and I'll give you a heads up. Can't see you in Montana. Yeah, count your lucky stars. <laughs> cool. Well, listen, thank you for coming on the show and I will see you soon. Cheers. Don't hang up. spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. 
pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.